0: That's do you, okay, no. Ginge, why he like a 1970s lounge
1: singer? <laughs> because I've got a microphone, a, v- a pencil. I think this would be a pencil it is microphone. A pencil microphone isn't it? It's not. It, it, does it suit me? Uh, no. no. Your hands
0: look overly large. Yeah.
1: They do, and I'm not wearing a shiny
2: suit. You look like a giant gorilla grasping a pencil. That's a good thought. That is yeah. right. Was it, it is right, was yeah. Was it Larry yeah. Grayson who did the Generation Game with one of those long, like, foot-long Wasn't that Blankety
1: Blankety Blank? Didn't Les Dawson have something like that? In blank. Was Blankety Blank this have a big long... Alienating. It is. Our own audience, it is. our
0: international audience and our yeah. audience with taste.
1: Yeah, but this is <laughs> so a Terry leaves. Wogan. So this is a, th- a throwback microphone. Why have I got that? And you've got all the Trendy, cool ones. A
3: little bit close. I wouldn't... Little 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 bit bit close. Why, why, why? You why, stop why, putting your pinky out as well, Chinch, why? that would help, because uh, that's not really... What? You know, you're, not a, you're not drinking a small Listen, cup of tea out of a, you know... China drinking gun. tea,
1: broadcasting, finger comes out, that's how it works.
3: <laughs> I wouldn't say that we've got
0: trendy microphones, because Steve's is really more gaffer tape than it is microphone.
3: <laughs> it is being held together by gaffer tape and saliva what is, whatever yeah. it is, is supposed to be holding it together. <laughs>
2: yeah. my, my, I think this one is actually older than Steve's. They're a similar make, the old fashioned commentary microphone. Steve, Steve's is newer, but because it's been used more recently, uh, it needs more gaffer tape, and it is in a state of disrepair. However, this one I think is about twenty years old, covered in abs- spew and saliva, and twenty years worth of commentary. But just mm. yours. But so- solidly together. Just
0: your saliva. Yes. Have you? Do you? Do, do, do you? Are they.
2: Do all companies have like their own microphone? Well, I think with, with one of these microphones, a lip microphone, it would be sensible to keep to your own. You yes. Know? You wouldn't want Alan Green's. I wouldn't want Alan Green's. Although... Yeah. The, the radio commentary doesn't doesn't use these com uh, doesn't use these anymore really do they they use headsets no no they do they prefer lip mics oh yes, they do, you know. yeah they use the mics still on the radio still on lip mics absolutely yeah. Sky
1: have antiseptic wipes now yeah yeah, yeah. I do that's really that's a good point you should have your own microphone Mine would be gold plated obviously but yeah they yours started would, leaving yours would break regularly it would not
2: break at th- all think, it'd be think, solid as a rock I think and you'll find it'll be autographed
1: <laughs> will you the auto,
0: will you give it up it's spelt differently. Andy Hinsley's microphone has, has broken down and is now
3: out for nine months.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's going to need constant rehab Aww. and physio.
3: When people ask you, what's the difference between commentating on TV and commentating on radio? Basically, the difference is, is on TV, someone will get a brand new lip mic out of a box. They will antiseptic wipe it down yes. and then hand it to you. Yeah. Whereas on radio, you get a 20-year-old lip mic out of a box yeah. and it's probably been used by 1,400 people previously. To so
0: what you're saying is we should all get into the lip mic game.
2: We oh, should yeah. at least get into the lip mic game or more importantly into the antiseptic wipe. Yes, that's, that's a big game, po- that's yeah. a big game. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. We actually have a double serving of food this morning. Not only do we have waffles and fruit, which have been provided uh, jointly by Steve and uh, myself, but also, Rory, would you like to explain what has come in this beautiful ice cream tub? So last week, I think, I experimented, I'm trying to expand my biscuit-making
0: repertoire. I, I don't uh, know you made biscuits. Ma- I make biscuits, <laughs> from, from I've zero. never
1: mentioned that before. But you does
0: make a lot, biscuits. You make biscuits for us. I've made biscuits for you. Ah, probably didn't know. So I've now got. I mean, I'm 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 relatively new to the biscuit making game. Uh, I'm I'm maybe half a dozen recipes in, but I thought I'd experiment with some triple chocolate chip cookies.
3: They Mm. look insanely good.
0: Which were which are really good. Um, they're they're actually a bit rich for me. I've got sweet tooth, but I like I don't like rich things. Mm. So we have, uh, yeah, it's just milk chocolate, dark chocolate, white chocolate, triple chocolate. (laughs) But then I went to my mum and dad's with Ed over the weekend, and my mum, who's diabetic had been to a cake sale, which is, which is a bit like, which is torture for a, di- for, a, for a diabetic. She's a late in life diabetic. Why would she put herself through that? bit of community. Uh, You've got to face your fears, Steve. She, and bear in mind, this is I come from a family where my granny died of Battenberg. So the, the just cut her open, red and white, red and yellow check, all the way down. It's awful business. Her skin was Marzipan. <laughs> yeah, suffocated by Marzipan. Cut me and I bleed Battenberg. Bit. But anyway, my mum went to a cake sale for some doodler thing. That's what. That's how she rolls. And she bought um, some coffee cake. I think she made a coffee cake to contribute, which I've also got some of at home. But you're not having any of. Uh, and she, ma- she made. She made some. T- she bought some tiffins, uh, which are amazing. But you I mean, just feel like you're having a heart attack. Mm. So Kate said to me, "Rory, get these out of the house. <laughs> Go and give them to those idiots. You spend." Your, your mornings with making a podcast. Uh, so you, you have to basically, these are staying here, they're not coming back.
1: Is this Kate's way of killing us off by stealth? <laughs> <self? laughs> For a 50 year old man like me, that is like swallowing a, a hand grenade with the pin pulled out. I can't have tiffin, can I? Clearly. I think you should have a crookie. Yes, yeah. I think that's a safer bet, yeah. yeah. Um, we, um,
0: my mum's my other contribution. So obviously, Ed is like 18 months, whatever 17, 18 months. I do know how old he is. Ish. Ish. So we, we we restrict how much sugar he has. We generally don't give him sugar. My mum made him an omelette, wolfed it down. She went, oh, he, he eats a lot. Does he want some cake? And I was like, mm, no. Because if you give my son cake, he will go nuts. And also don't an want
2: cake for the rest and then, of his life. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so I, I went to the loo or something. And I came back and she was just, she was like stealthily feeding him fistfuls of torta de Santiago (laughs) which is some sort of almond based (laughs) cake and it was delicious and
1: Ed just had this massive thing in his fist Shoving it in his
0: face. I don't know what she's trying to do
1: to this me. This is the argument, though. If you surely you have to give them little bits. Yeah, he has a bit. You can't. Yeah. You can't if you deny them. They're only going to rebel yeah, and yeah. go for a Victoria like, a whole full Victoria full sponge. Well, they, get, they get to like
0: nine and they're like, my God, what is this? Exactly. This is so, amazing. You so you no, have, he has bits, but we tr- we don't. We try not to you give. you are going to introduce it in
2: the right yeah. way, Rory. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, joining me, Hugh Ferris. Ah, Stephen Wyatt. <laughs> <laughs> who has a signed hockey puck Rory Smith who has an authenticated football jersey and Andy Hinchcliffe who has an autographed patella tendon oh. <laughs> you can get in touch via at setpiecemenu setpiecemenu at gmail.com or also on Facebook our diaries and your correspondence are a bit out of sync owing to an upcoming trip to Portugal and our rare ability to plan for it so we'll catch up with more uh, next week but for now there are a couple of emails about luck following SPM number 123 Hans-Martin Ishida has written an excellent one and so is therefore included for a second time. Hello all. I really enjoyed your discussion on the role of luck in soccer. I don't know if any of you had to read Machiavelli in university, Rory? I've, yeah, I, read, I, I think I have read, read The Prince, yeah. Any, anybody else? Yeah, yeah, we love it. Pictures were great. University of life. Um, So, uh, (laughs) Hans Martin asks, if any of you had to read uh, Machiavelli as many times as I did, you may be aware that chapter 25 of The Prince Mm. says this, Fortune is the arbiter of one half of our actions, but she still leaves the other half, or almost that, to us. And later, he says, uh, Fortune shows her force where there is no organised strength to resist her. So, says Hans Martin, in my mind, great managers are ones that can anticipate and limit the damage they suffer from luck. See Jose Munoz' risk-averse Chelsea or Klopp's Gagan pressing. The flip side here is Guardiola's controlling of a match where they try to create their own luck by dominating the ball and creating many varied chances, even with teams that are often seen as more direct, like Pulis or Allardyce, try to play a similar game with set pieces and long balls. The only time a team ever has total control of the ball is before a set piece. And so playing of dead balls is trying to strike lucky, since more often than not, you don't score. At PS, he says, you may be glad to know my football manager York City game is going well, went up to the Premier League, finished 18th, but back in playoff contention in the championship, up the Minstermen. men. Uh, he says, so that's th- th- one of the things that they say about Pep Guardiola, the reason that he plays the way that he does is because he wants to minimise th- the opportunity for the other team to be lucky or for them to be unlucky by dominating possession, dominating areas of the mm. pitch that allow you to do that, and therefore making sure that the other team don't have the ball... And- Give them the opportunity to have any luck. Yeah, I think. Do you have that? You
1: can have that philosophy, but are you thinking about luck at that point? If you're Pulis or Guardiola, you want to play a certain way, and that just maybe leads into the fact you're probably going to get the, the rub of the green. Are you actually thinking about luck before you decide on how you want to play, or you, you want to play and the luck kind of comes along with that?
0: I think. It- Looks maybe the wrong word. Fortune is a yeah. b- random, random chance. It does favour Whereas, the brave as well. It does, find, yeah. yeah. It, and we should remember that that yeah. Machiavelli obviously was a was a was a bias journo. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> yes. not going to say that word. Hashtag agenda Has, with with a, with a terrible agenda. Yeah, so, yeah, a lovely
1: step over and could beat a fallback though. Absolutely, really yeah. Put, but you um, know,
0: could he do it on a w- a rainy night in Stoke? Consistency was always always his problem. I think the, what what I would say is that the difference between Guardiola and a lot of the others is the others. Although I put Mourinho in with Guardiola, you get some managers who try to remove chance from the game, whether that's through dominating the ball or by being defensive or whatever. They are restricting chance as much as possible. Pulis and Allardyce with set pieces, are basically embracing chaos, which is a really interesting image of Tony Pulis by saying, let's find the moments where there is least control and maximise our chances of being, in inverted commas, lucky then. And I think Klopp, in a different way, does the same thing. If you... What creates chances for Liverpool is the system. Is forcing opponents into mistakes. It's why Liverpool always appear to be lucky, because I mean, so there are occasions when Hugh Lloris throws one in or whatever, or Pickford, his arms are too short. But a lot of the time, Klopp is saying we will make you make a mistake, mm-hmm. and that that's what they're doing. So Liverpool don't have a creative midfielder particularly, but what creates chances for Liverpool is the system. That's what's important. So they their luck comes from they. The, they're trying to kind of corral luck to say, let's,
3: let's take the randomness, let's profit from the randomness, I think. Yeah, luck isn't the word, it's, it's different ways of applying pressure from which you might benefit, or in yeah, Jose yeah. Mourinho's case effectively cancelling out as much chance of that going against you in the other direction and more or less infuriating your opponent into making the mistakes that you will benefit from. Uh, The high
2: level of discourse continues with this from Rob Harrison. As a professional poker player, I have spent way too long thinking about luck and the philosophies that surround it. As a person who is mainly a deterministic thinker who doesn't believe in free will, I believe luck, as we know it, is just incomplete information. He doesn't believe in free will? He doesn't believe in free will. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, We can take this to two extremes says Rob. Uh, Your friend tells you the two names of two teams that you have never heard of and tells you to pick a winner. This is about as close to a coin flip as we can get. You have no information except their names, so expect to be right about half the time. Now let's say your friend tells you which of the two sides are playing at home you now have more information to work with and there is less so-called luck involved in determining an outcome as we know home teams have a statistical advantage over away teams conversely let's go to the other end of the spectrum let's say there is a supercomputer which has complete information it knows everything from where a small gust of wind will happen to what your right back had for dinner three days ago or is going to have uh, for dinner that night if you're a left back and you have a Chinese takeaway menu um, that was my ad lib not Rob's although I'm <laughs> sure he was thinking that this complete information will lead to knowing exactly what will happen in the game therefore removing any element of luck when predicting an outcome. This shows that those who have complete information will never experience luck, however the more incomplete the information gets the more so-called luck there will be. So that brings us to the definition of luck being that of which you have incomplete information coming to pass meaning that if you consider a last-minute winner lucky, then you must also consider a scored penalty or a Man City home win against Burton. Slightly lucky, as with the information we had before the event occurred, it was not a complete certainty. Please note my views are completely ignoring any any type of quantum science, which seemingly goes against everything I believe in, but I'm not smart enough to understand. From Rob.
3: It sounds to me like Rob's cleverer than me, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> yeah, in fact, it's starting to sound like an awful lot of our listeners are cleverer than we are, yeah. so perhaps we're That's on good, the, the wrong it? side of the mic. That's good. Here. Yeah, I think so. Mm. Shows we're appealing. The, or do people, is it like a hate listen? Do people think, I'm going <laughs> to make them feel tune better. into those morons? <laughs> uh, that thing think, about if you're the smartest person in the room, you should leave. The problem is, is we're often not the smartest people in the room that yeah. the podcast is being listened to in.
2: Yeah. Uh, We've th- just used cats here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for getting in touch with the podcast at, Seppi's Menu, Seppi's Menu at gmail.com. Now, I am going to ask the podders a question which in the true spirit of this show is both shocking and only slightly related to anything that's come before stadium porn yes or no Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, from Steve. Not during games. Not during because games. Because it would, would distract people. <laughs> Can I have a clarification of what that means? Uh, no. When I... the um, <laughs> ad breaks in the British coverage of the NFL, for example, differ in length from the US broadcast, the holding shot that's presented on the feed to bridge the gap is a bird's eye view of the stadium where the game is taking place.
3: Ah, I, I thought something different. So, yeah, so now we're getting on to NFL, <laughs> what, a which
2: is what you surprise really
3: wanted to talk about. Potty mind. <laughs> now,
2: when, when this happens, I pause this shot on the coverage and just stare at it. You do, yes, you clown. Because (laughs) uh, when it comes to (laughs) stadium porn, yes or no? The answer for me is very definitely yes. The last two venues to host a Super Bowl: the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, and before that, the U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. (sighs) Unbelievably beautiful (laughs) things, (laughs) genuinely, genuinely stunning. Get Nigella to
1: talk over the top of that. I would.
2: Whoever does the M&S advert again, a little parochial, they could describe that stadium for me thumbs up Close this, is not, to this home, is not just a stadium <laughs> exactly <laughs> who doesn't take a picture of the Wembley Arch when you're approaching the stadium me first time you visit like, we're talking to fans Rory not yeah, but, cynical journalists alright Man City fans who go constantly <laughs> the first time you visit Anfield or Old Trafford with all their history or even any stadium when you walk up the steps in, opening into the seats and get that first view they are special moments particularly if it's a rare treat and as we've discussed before on Setby's Menu it's often meant a hefty financial Sacrifice to be there. So that's our perspective, not Rory's. That's our perspective, all wrapped up in the romance and the subsequent memories. Footballers? Well, apparently footballers aren't bothered. Kevin de Bruyne recently said uh, when looking ahead to Manchester City's Champions League quarterfinal first leg against Spurs, who have, of course, just opened their new stadium, which has a considerable amount of slack jaw inducing beauty. I don't care about the stadium, said KDB. I care about the team we play. Everybody talks about the stadium like it's something special. Everybody has a stadium. Everybody has supporters. They'll be up for it. They'll probably be a little bit more excited, but in the end, it's the stadium with supporters. You may well note that he sounded a little bit more as we went along, a 14-year-old pesky, <laughs> insolent teenager. A little bit less
3: Belgian, a little bit more Harry Enfield character. <laughs>
2: also, also Brummie. <laughs> Why was he a Brummie? So do players care about their surroundings? We've spoken before about atmosphere from a fan's point of view and how the experience of a high-flying club might be brought back down to earth with a pink-walled, freezing-cold dressing room at an away mm-hmm. FA Cup tie. But once they're out on the pitch, does any of it make any difference at all? Do players care about their surroundings and do any of them dabble in stadium porn? Change. Look at, if you look at modern stadia now, they are
1: mainly fantastic, certainly in the Premier League, mainly fantastic. When I was playing, back in the day when football was, was better, the grounds were... Cl- no, it's, it's a fact. I was involved in the golden era of soccer. had a big part to play in the golden era of soccer. But the grounds <laughs> were, the grounds were again, where they were built. They were kind of disjoint. They, they were a bit disjoint. They weren't quite right, were they? Goodison Park hybrid they were, i love them they were one but again i played at those grounds when i played at them so i'm bound to love them and, and kind of reminisce a little bit by saying well can't we Cause that, that's what if goodison park if you left goodison park and went to this uh, like a new all purpose stadium that's what clubs do because of the finances and the way football is but goodison park Again, it's so fractured, isn't it? But I, I find mm. it a wonderful. I love playing there. I love going back there, and I just love the setup of it's it. Odd it's, you're, not,
0: you're not especially welcome.
1: I am welcome. <laughs> I'm welcome with open arms and the odd punch to the kidneys. <laughs> but I, I, I love. And it's strange. I speak to a lot of kind of people, of even even players that probably played ten years after I did, and they still appreciate grounds like that, kind of the, the, the imperfectness of them. I, I, maybe, again, because I played at that time, you're always going to remember that. And watching those and seeing those grounds as you grew up as well has a big part to play. But if you're a, a young football fan now, seeing Spurs' stadium, City stadium, Anfield, it, 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 they are, in a way, is it wrong? So they're kind of sanitised. They are they wonderful. But in a way, I feel, are they too good and too nice. So then the modern player will be thinking, well, yeah, it is all wonderful, but this is what I'm used to. I see it week in and week out. And with De Bruyne and Man City, it, I, I do believe what he's saying. It is all about how they play and who they're playing against. But and I, you, you do try, when I was playing, you try and block out the crowd because you do have a job to do. You do. You, you did feel them though because maybe the fans were a little bit closer back then. i thought the grounds maybe a little bit more set back. So you felt as though the crowd were you felt the crowds were bigger and they were more involved in the game yeah. as well. But you, I didn't tend to think about what they were, were doing while I was playing. And that's true of maybe the modern players as well. Well, what were while you st- were playing
0: was groaning. Was
1: booing and saying, oh, that's incredible, that throw-in was extraordinary. So
0: when, let me take you back to young Andy Hinchcliffe. He's 23, he's just recovered from an injury. <laughs> when, you're, when you've got an away game, yeah. obviously at home you're, you're used to the surroundings. Yeah. When you've got an away game and you do that walk on the pitch, initially, mm-hmm. do you, did you take it in? Did you look her up? Did you kind of think, oh, that's interesting, that's there? That, did you have to no, get used no, to anything? Did because you try and drink in the say, no, not really. It was,
1: it was mainly the pitches because they aren't as uniformly brilliant as they are now. So yeah. the one thing you wanted to do was check what it was going to be like underfoot because that's, that's the job. If you can't stand up, that's maybe my problem. I had the wrong footwear on. <laughs> I shouldn't have played in flip-flops for so many years. But that was the main reason is what kind of pit, how hard, how soft grass and everything else. But because I'd done it from... 16-17 it, it, was, it was normal I, again I, it, maybe it's just me I didn't tend to and when the ground's empty as well it, it's not the same yeah, clearly yeah, as yeah. when they fans fancy. but I, I don't know I never really took an awful lot of notice but there were certain games say Manchester derbies or games at Old Trafford when you were taking corners and you were getting grief then you noticed a little bit more mm. what was going on and you noticed the crowd a little bit more but if you maybe came into the game in your 20s and hadn't experienced anything you're a little bit more mature it is all fresh and new maybe then it becomes a bit wow this is really incredible but because i had been playing in front of big crowds they'd mainly turned up to see me play I've, i was i was Again, true. Pele, Cruyff, Hinchcliffe. They, it was it was a spectacle. So I maybe realised that, that, that again. A of accountants? It was just I was the the, the, the synergy between myself and a, and a crowd. There wasn't really kind of a barrier there. It, we, we we were one and the same. So maybe it was just it maybe was just me and I didn't really notice an awful lot playing for England. Again, I I kind of focused in on on not making mistakes and not worrying about a crowd of ninety thousand. Chan- I don't know, it's just, it never re- I never really so noticed it what too much. About,
0: the other thing that you heard, this is a slight tangent, but the other thing you heard about Spurs moving was that the, the players would have to get used to the sight lines, to the kind of visual reference points of where things are as they try and track the ball. Is, okay. is that something that you. I've never even. Have th- ever thought about? Never. Is that nonsense?
1: Probably probably not, because if you look at the way grounds were, I presume sight lines now are, you don't get the pylons, you don't get all the problems you maybe did with, because that's again, they're trying to get a good view. For the fans, I presume that's where it stems from. You design a ground yeah. for the for the for the fan, but I'd never even thought of it from the player on the pitch's point of view. Whether, because again, there'll be nothing really apart from presumably fans well, in their sight lines. There's not going to be an awful lot else. There's no real I vertical actually, structures anymore no. that you could kind of. I've never even, something I've
3: never even thought about. I occasionally wonder if those flashing advertising hoardings can't help. I don't think they notice those because they're yeah. set up to be visible on television. Oh really? If you if you look at those when you're in a ground, they're not nearly as noticeable. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Certainly the kids. When I've been at, the, at games with the kids, they've ever occasionally get distracted. Like, why are they advertising a game that this isn't? They're occasionally drawn to maybe a, yeah, a BT Sport or a Sky Sports advert on the on the hoardings advertising an upcoming game, but they are. And, and that that demonstrates they are designed to capture the, the view the viewer at home rather, rather than, than something. Also, your, thing, your, yeah. your kids come away saying, "Dad, can we insure our car with Admiral?" <laughs> that's the, that's the, that's they the, the look problem. Good. But for
1: players, again, yeah, Here's you'd have to go. Number. Yeah, you have to go down on the pit. I'm, I'm not sure you would. Again, that would be a bit off putting if you're. Trying to shoot and suddenly there's yeah. flashing. I'm sure that doesn't, that kind must they, really. they must have, they must have look looked at that. Until They're they clatter into good. them, players don't know. Yeah. 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 The
2: closer you get to them, the more that you actually just see the individual pixels. You don't right, actually okay, see yeah. the, the, the larger effect, which is, again, go- for the eye from. I'm further. going to
0: a game tonight. I'm going to experiment with this. Because my eye on TV is always drawn to the adverts that are not in English. So when you suddenly see, like, Russian script or Thai script flash up, and you think, that was odd isn't the Premier League international. Or when you see adverts for computer games that are little sort of gifs, effectively, of players playing... And you see the players playing on the pitch and then the computer going behind them and you realise that reality is just an illusion. Yeah, you, and
2: there's often a boot advert featuring yeah, players yeah, 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 who yeah. are yeah. playing on the pitch as well.
3: You won't get the, the full effect unless you're at pitch level, probably on the pitch. So maybe sort of 10 minutes into the game, <laughs> yeah. get yourself down there <laughs> and, uh,
2: and let us know how you get on. Just have a look at the pixels. Uh, the, so the, do, the, just quickly on the on the yeah. sight lines and the fans, because the, the, the famous occasion in the mid-90s where Manchester United changed their shirts from grey at half-time yeah. um, at Southampton because they were losing that game. The, the, the fact was is that the grey was too similar to the crowd that surrounded them and so no. they were unable, unable to see. That was the line given. That was an excuse. That was an excuse given, a line given. But, mm. So let's find out if it was an excuse that had any merit or, or any base in fact. Mm. Do, do you ever, because of the, the, the way that some crowds are so close to the pitch, particularly in those old stadiums, do you ever get any sort of sight issues where the player that you're looking at Actually, moulds into the background. Never, it never ever
1: happened. I can never say that. Where's David Beckham gone? Oh, he's melded into the crowd. Oh my God, he's beaten me across it and they've scored. I don't know. Curtains were very so. Popular sorry, in the late Howard. 90s. <laughs> I, I would have defended that really well, but I lost him in the crowd.
2: It just, uh, it just. I should have used that. What a great excuse. Well, it ah, Mr. Trick. There, it worked for Sir Alex Ferguson in that three-one defeat yeah. to Southampton. But the um, the so. Sight, sight lines are yeah, yeah. very much from a fan's point of view then so it's not necessarily augmenting the yeah, yeah. experience do of we, a player Do yeah. we buy what KD said?
1: Is it specific to him and City the way the single-minded approach if Guardiola is trying to again we're talking about control and about avoiding chance if you drill your team into saying it doesn't matter what pitch we play on it doesn't matter where we play it doesn't matter who we play we play this mm-hmm. way only focus on your job because ultimately if you get involved with the crowd if you get involved with things that are going to affect how... You, that's what I'm saying. Is it... Would, would someone at Cardiff say the same thing?
0: Well, all i With is... it being
1: at the very, very top level and also it being Man City yes. and the way we know they approach games as a coach and players. Is it a surprise that he says, we block all that out? That means nothing to us. Not saying we don't enjoy it, but we have got our job to do. And the best exactly. way we do that is focus on, on our job
3: solely. That's it. <laughs> what Kevin De Bruyne has given as an insight there too, and he's maybe gone to the other extremity to to signpost it is that players don't put I'm sure that players don't put anywhere near as high a stock in the sort of things that fans do and to some extent that clubs do a new stadium for Tottenham is vitally important to that club in terms of growing and it's,
1: it's for the club it's not for the players exactly. necessarily
3: to, will they play better at that new stadium than they did at White Hart the Lane mo- as far as a new stadium is concerned the most important group of people that it exists for is the club as a whole to grow as a business to generate yeah. Yeah, as a business to generate more bums on seats to generate greater income then it's for the fans isn't it there's a sense of pride you know white hart lane had probably outlasted its its use and therefore a new environment for the fans to come and support their team, that gives them a sense of pride, something to to grow with, doesn't it, in terms of, you know, feeling as though this is going to be a new home for the next few decades. So, yeah, it's really important for the fans, but the, the players are a long way down the list in terms of how significant a new stadium is. And certainly if you are a visiting player, I mean, you only have to see the look on the Crystal Palace players' faces during the opening ceremony for Tottenham's new stadium. It's like, what? What are we doing here? I have never seen... I was there.
0: I've never seen... Harry Kane lo- looked very proud. He, you could tell he was looking out the, as, as, they'd, as they'd lined up. And he, he had that kind of look on his face that was still business-like, as he had a game to play. But you could tell he was looking out thinking, this is, this is all right, I like this. This is, this is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anyone look as baffled as Vicente Dwight at the Palace Keeper. <laughs> Just looked completely... When Wynn when Jones, I think the guy who does the Joe Compare adverts, the, the senior tenor, what a baritone, whatever he is, who's very good... He didn't do do Compare." He did "Laurie." That Vos is a Tottenham shame. But Pete,
3: when people want the hits, <laughs> <laughs> did he?
2: Did he? D- did, did he have the tash? Or are you going to no, tell me that tash no, no, no. isn't no. is, oh. I mean, oh. is real?
3: Especially as you know, you, you're comparing old White Hart Lane to new White yeah, Hart yeah, Lane. Yeah, I mean, it seemed obvious. It
0: was like when George Michael at the, 20, at, the at the closing ceremony. <laughs> one of my favorite my favorite Olympic moments. Oh as well, yes, yeah. Was when George. Everyone, all these legends of of British music did one of their greatest hits. One. And George Michael, God rest his soul, insisted on doing not only Faith, classic, but then a new one. Which nobody knew and, and you, you nobody thought. You see the entire crowd going, no, I don't know this. <laughs> um. this that's the moment where you would go to the loo. Yeah, yeah. But the, so Harry Kane looked very proud, but the Palace players did look baffled. I think what Kevin De Bruyne said is interesting on, on a couple of levels. One is that if I was a City fan, I'm not sure I'd take that that well. Because Kevin de Bruyne, I'm sure we could go through his Twitter feed as we could go through all of the Premier League's Twitter feed, and they'll say, fans were great today, thanks for pushing us, blah, 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 come on, City, which is, they've got to work on that hashtag. It's ridiculous. But what Kevin de Bruyne is basically saying is, yeah, we don't care. Not interested, doesn't make any difference to us. Because if it applies. Because see he doesn't care. No, no. He didn't he, say that. Every, did everyone he? has a stadium, everyone has fans. Yes. It's very much like,
1: you lot don't make any difference. Or he's saying that we just approach everything in the same yeah. way.
2: Or he's, he is trying to say to himself and those who follow him and his teammates, yeah. this is how we feel about it. Yeah. This is a, pr- a part of our preparation yeah. to not um, put into yeah. anybody's minds that Spurs will have and any exactly advantage, exactly. or any team will and have any the, advantage. In the
0: context not only of what he was asked, which would have been, are you worried that Spurs' new stadium might give him yeah. an extra boost? Yeah. But also the fact, and I've done it as well, the, the kind of, the, I guess, three weeks of, oh my God, this stadium's amazing, isn't it? Brilliant, blah, blah, blah. That's probably quite annoying for other people who are loyal to other clubs to be presented with. So it may well be that he's just sort of saying, actually, do you know what? It doesn't matter. It's a pitch. As
1: Chintz said, well, it's when he's been asked. It's before this game, yeah. in a brand new stadium, and clearly City are the better team. But will they be affected by yeah. the surroundings? And, and he's, he's basically saying, saying no, no. I mean, difference to me, you know, yeah. the games that he's played. I, I don't think he's saying it in a. A derogatory way or negative way or saying that he doesn't care. It's just, I think it's, it's when he's been asked this question and ahead the, of which And also, of what, what else could he say?
0: Yeah, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have to say that. Yeah, absolutely. But the other thing, I, I don't believe that when Kevin De Bruyne went to play at the new Camp, he thought everyone's got a stadium. I don't, I think that he must have played at the Bernabeu. And would he have been there in the semif- when they played in the semi-final? If Kevin De Bruyne has ever yeah. played at the Bernabeu, I refuse to believe he thought
3: everyone's got a stadium. Because... But you're comparing history... With something that's yeah, fresh yeah. and new. Yeah,
0: that's the thing. So is is it the stadium that makes a difference or yeah. is it the
3: the legend of that stadium, of that place, yeah. that makes mm-hmm. a difference to players? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but then again, you're comparing going to play Barcelona away with and Real Madrid away, two of the most decorated and famous mm-hmm. clubs in the history of football, with going to play Tottenham away, a team yeah, that yeah, you, exactly. you play twice a but season. Team anyway, that
0: finished ninth in 1993. Exactly. I'm not. I'm not comparing anything. No, no. Kevin sorry, De Bruyne, yeah, yeah, has said everyone has a stadium, everyone has fans. No,
1: but the the, the follow up to that would be, well, what about when you go to the new Camp, or what about when yeah. you go to bit the, but they're not at yep. the moment. When they maybe get there, then Someone the question is, well, is this actually different yeah. from that experience with with Tottenham? That's a different question to say, well does it come into play when you're going to play Barcelona? And it must do. No matter how good I play, good a player, it I, I would have been faced by it, but unfortunately what, I never played there. What was the most um,
0: iconic place that you played, apart from Wembley? Iconic place that I played... Because obviously you famously didn't play much in Europe. The, Gabo- um, the Gabon National Stadium?
1: The Gabon National Stadium was graced by my presence, my overweight, tubby presence, careering... <laughs> no, I didn't get forward very much, actually, over the halfway line. Kishinell. Um <laughs> Where would I have... The old Wembley clearly was one of my... Yeah, that was one of my major haunts. Um, you. <laughs> haunt You, it yeah. it did haunt you went twice, yeah. Um It's probably, I've got more fun for National operating theatres than, uh, than... I'm sure I was in more operating theatres than Listen, than everyone's stadium. got a table,
3: everyone's got a few knives. <laughs> yeah. The other thing with the interpretation oh, of... Oh, an aesthetic, what, <laughs> I've had that before. With what De Bruyne said is that I don't... I don't think he's necessarily sort of... That that would be quite a tabloid interpretation that he would be criticising all fans and all stadiums or saying no fans and no stadium is important. He's he's answering a question in response to the hyperbole that currently exists around Tottenham's new stadium. And he's probably just trying to fire a shot back across the bowels to say... That really isn't going to make a huge amount of difference. You know, you're talking about very, very few percents worth of difference as to how the game is going to play out, especially as a two-legged tie. Mm -hmm. Maybe if it was a one-off game at Tottenham's new stadium, very, very early on in their life in that stadium, then you might sense that would give them a slight edge in the same way as Liverpool were able to take advantage in the Champions League against Manchester City last season that the... The way that the fans were able to to galvanise themselves behind the team clearly made a difference and clearly unsettled City on that occasion. It, but the, that's what projectiles will do. Yeah. <laughs> well, but the, but again, but that was something that happened. Yeah, you I mean that, that that shows you that. of things next so time the, you need to ask to learn about buses. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. About, every, yeah. Every yeah.
2: what
0: about every team's got a bus? <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing about that, and I'm not quite sure what the parallel is, that that. And I
3: thought this, but that was something happened outside the stadium. That happened so outside that's the stadium, yeah, but, And it would have been
0: intimidating. And we saw obviously with River Boca in November what the, the kind of the potential consequences of that sort of thing, which is why we should decry it. But that won't have been the only. That, that wasn't a unique event to Anfield. If you don't, City played at Napoli. There's not a chance their bus has dropped into the San Paolo without without stuff being thrown at it. Same most rounds in Italy and quite a lot in France, Spain, Germany, and all across Europe. If you're, you're not going to the American R in Belgrade. And they're sort of throwing rose petals at your feet. So it surprised me. It, it clearly made a difference, but it surprises me. It surprised me how much of a difference it made. And you can tell how much of a difference it made because City still haven't forgotten it. It's, it continues to be a source of frustration. for And understandably, for the fans and I think for people within the club, that there wasn't more of a kind of universal condemnation of Liverpool. That leads me on to the big question then, the big question at the heart of this. If we accept that De Bruyne is right, although and as I, I think you're right that... that saying no fans matter isn't... It's not what he meant to say, but there is. you could definitely take that thought down that path without being without stretching it too much. You're back in your
3: red-top days.
0: So if <laughs> he's, very he's,
2: cynical. He is trying to dilute a narrative. I think That's what, what he's I think trying what he's to he's do. do but for his yeah. own purposes yeah. or his own team's I, purposes. I think what he's trying to do is say... He's, he's trying to cut the crap a little
0: bit and say, look, the, yeah. we're better than them. It doesn't matter where we play, which is completely fair enough. Explain home advantage. Explain why football... In that case, is the one sport where home advantage has such a massive... Diff- there's such a massive difference between home form and away form. You don't get it in the US
1: sports. You don't get it in cricket. What what, what are the figures? If we're talking about a massive... What, what are the, the, the chances of you winning at home compared to winning away? Are we talking... What, what, what's the difference? How big is the difference? I, seem to, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it's... Is it in the numbers game edited
0: by it, Rory Smith? It is, it is in the numbers game. And I think if you look across most sports it slightly stews it so mm-hmm. I, I th- and with with apologies to Chris and Dave who wrote the numbers game I can't remember i would guess it is in most sports say 60 okay. 40 home away yeah. in football it's 75 75/25, oh, okay 70
3: 30 there is a mm-hmm. significant statistical okay. difference in football why but but then surely you have to dilute that further and talk about well what is it in favor of the big clubs for whom kevin de bruyne is Playing for one of those big clubs, surely the the home and away advantage is eradicated for the likes of yes. City, yeah. yes, Chelsea. Were yeah. you well, saying
1: about the United. Palace goalkeeper being baffled, or did he, did they look beaten down? Did no, they look they, frightened? They, look,
0: they, look they just confused
1: and confused. What do you mean by confused? Just they they didn't, they, they, they didn't they, think they, they should just, be there, they or literally they had no idea
0: what was happening. If they just probably right.
2: thought it was a bit much. They yes. didn't quite
0: understand why, why, why and uh, with you no know, apologies, with apologies to Win, Win Jones or whatever he's called, Win something. They they clearly didn't quite understand why. Just when they thought it was all ending, a very large man walked onto the field shouting. Well,
3: basically, Chinch, somebody has built a new house on the other side of Woodford. Have they? Oh no, and, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And they it's a ethical. metaphor. They're big. They're having yeah. a big housewarming. Yeah, and I'm not cutting the ribbon. You, yet. you and oh, you sorry. and Nikki are required to attend this housewarming, yeah. even though you don't care about this house and you don't really yeah. care that much about and the also, people who are living here also in it. they don't want you to be there yeah yeah and they'd rather just have a party without you this this is not going to be fun is it no. well exactly <laughs> I'll
1: just
2: gorge myself on canapes so. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 what Son Heung Moon said before the first leg between uh, Spurs and City was that it's partly not just because of the atmosphere and we, we've talked about the atmosphere before and what, what uh, advantage that can create for a home team and Jurgen Klopp almost on a daily basis invokes that from from Anfield whenever they've got a big game coming up. But what Son Heung-min said was, it's about being at home. It's about being in a home because they'd not been in home in a home whilst they were at Wembley. They didn't feel like they were that in, was they their were home. They were, they were in rented accommodation. They were tenants only yeah. and they, it wasn't their own home. So there, there seems to be something whether it's intangible or tangible amongst players that just to have, I don't know whether it's a regular feeling of going to a place and going to that place once every two weeks or more often mm. and that having an effect on the wellness and happiness of that place Player, which helps them to then I'm not, not sure perform you, yeah, better. Yeah,
1: I'm not sure I ever thought about it in those terms, but when you spend a long time, you know, a Goodest I was at Everton eight years, did I feel that, I never even thought, well, this is home. Um, Tottenham, because of what they've been through with playing at Wembley and the length of time it's taken to build a state, yes, I understand we need a home, but then you have to move on from that and become successful and use that that stadium as an advantage to, to move forward and, and to threaten more. But I, I can't ever remember, and you know, I spent... Decent chunks of time, four years at City, four years at Sheffield Wednesday, eight years at Everton. I kind of remember turning up thinking, I'm I'm home. I never, never saw it in did, that did you way. Not, did
0: you not have knickknacks around Wooderson
2: Park? Not really, no. But no, you, you the, didn't have The Ladro and stuff. I think that's maybe what was missing off the mantelpiece. <laughs> in an yeah. alternative venue for that team, though, if you see what I mean. So Sung Hyun Min is go-comparing uh, between Wembley mm-hmm. and the, yeah, the, the Steve, new stadium. I think
0: Steve's completely right. I think the difference is what... What lends home advantage? What lends the Burnerbound, the New Camp, and blah blah blah, these these iconic grounds? What lends them their mystique? What means they do have an influence on the players? I don't believe that Kevin De Bruyne thinks that stadium, no stadium and no fans make a difference. That it's all. I don't believe that even a team as well drilled and as well coached as City are 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 deaf and blind no, to their, their surroundings. Yeah. I'm sure they notice. And to be honest, if they don't notice, if they, if De Bruyne and Sterling and all these others. If they'd go into the new Camp and the burnabout and the Allianz or whatever and, and not noticing, then they're, miss, they're missing out because that, that's what makes it special. But it's, Steve's right. It's the history. Mm. It's, the, it's the memories and it, it's the noise and the sense of a stadium. It's not the it's building. It's what they
1: probably watched as kids as well, watching the great teams play yeah. when they were growing up, watching the great Barcelona Spurs, teams. It
0: does have an effect on you. Spurs' stadium, as beautiful as it is, won't have any of that for, for opposition players. And I think that
3: is the big exactly. difference. Everybody... Will be interested in visiting Tottenham's new stadium for the first time. It looks phenomenal. Why would you not want to experience that and see whether it's as good as everybody says it is? You feel about that things in, you feel about that many things in in life. Whether it's a, a film that everyone's talking about or a show or whatever, you you think well, actually I wouldn't mind experiencing that for cats. myself, cats. But if if you're a pro, if you're a club coming up out of the Championship, what what are the you get promoted Leeds United get promoted at the end of the season their not. fans are thinking great back to Old Trafford they're
0: back not thinking to that the they're field. thinking oh, we've, got to, we've got to leave Yorkshire
2: <laughs> not, not Leeds fans but, but fans perhaps of Norwich. any other club let's do Norwich <laughs> Norwich, Norwich Norwich fans you just have to fly everywhere oh, I right. know Norwich let's say Unnamed club
3: promoted from the championship. <laughs> <laughs> Which stadiums are you looking forward to going to? It's Old Trafford, it's Anfield, it's perhaps even St James's Park. Those steeped in history that you know, you've thought about over the years of being outside of the top flight. You'll be interested, you'll be fascinated about going to Tottenham's new yeah, stadium. Yeah, yeah. But yep. it won't be the first date in the diary that you're underlying in terms of away days that I simply have to experience. And going back to what Hugh was saying about what Hwang Min Son had said about being back home, Tottenham's situation is quite unusual. In terms of moving ground, most clubs would move from their old home into their new home immediately. You can understand from a Tottenham player's point of view that it has been perhaps a little bit unsettling, this sort of yeah. living out of a suitcase for the last 18 months and, and playing at Wembley, which... I oh, it must get, be a terrible thing must no, it, you the, know, I don't we'll have to play at Wembley again. No, no, I, I think playing at, playing at Wembley is, is great on those special occasions, but I would imagine it is quite an attritional place to play mm. all of the time. And, like, and never ne- full either. It what we need to ask yeah. is someone to who's, uh, who's played there, do we? What, in the new Wembley? <laughs> Not in the new Wembley, no. The old Wembley was awful. But also because... the yeah. Yeah. Was it you know, was it the great it was it was must have been a great ground to go and play at, but was um, it a, it's a great, great gra- it's a
1: great ground to go and win at. That's that's what I felt when I played in the and basically won the FA Cup final in nineteen ninety five. Um good it was made, all I thought about was let's not lose yeah. because you don't want to come away from here. Yeah. And everyone says that and it is absolutely true, and that was my focus playing for England as well. Same thing, don't make a mistake. Hopefully we can win, but don't make a yeah. fool of yourself. I didn't I didn't come away thinking, wow. I've just played at Wembley in front of 90,000 people. Isn't this amazing? I didn't see it that way at all.
3: So you can see why the Tottenham players, well, this is this is a relief. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You know, we can, we can finally start, you know, moving the furniture back in, you know, putting our clothes in the wardrobe and we'll know where everything is. Picking out the slippers. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, because, right.
2: because at least the new stadium is on the site of the old stadium pretty much. So you can understand that there is that genuine thing about commuting to the same place back again that you did prior. It's not like they're moving well, two, no, two miles but down, no, down. but for the just players, on, but, but it, they're, they're getting but, a bus from a hotel I was going they to say, don't. do but the still, players really see but it But there as must a fan? be at least come on, a tiny really part do. of it. A tiny, even if it's psychological, not 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 in any way. But ultimately, what the Bruyne has done here is shone a light on the fact that I, this, is exhaust, this must
3: be exhausting for players of other clubs. This just simply isn't important. The fact that Tottenham are moving into a new stadium is not important to us. And it's also perhaps widening things out a little bit, demonstrating that for the things that clubs and fans hold dear... They are not as important to players. Yeah, certain yeah. rivalries, certain circumstances that surround games, certain venues that you may or may not feel passionate about. If you've lived, if you've worked for a club for years, or you've, you know, you supported the team for your entire life, then those minutiae are going to be important. If you've been playing for a club for three or four seasons, or playing in a in a league for three or four seasons those little details aren't going to seem so significant.
1: As a player, you have to be... It sounds heartless, but you've got to be professional. Yes, you can kind of understand to a degree how the fans feel about it, but if you're from the North and you go and play for a team down in London, you're going to have an idea of what it's like to be a Tottenham fan or an Arsenal fan. But as a player, you've got a job to do. And De Bruyne has been very specific in, in the game that he's talking about. Um, he's, he's, he's speaking as a professional and saying my job is to play the way that I've been coached to play and to win this game. We're not going to get involved like a fan would do. That's why there's, there's huge differences. Fans aren't professionals. This is the big difference and professionals try to understand the feeling of fans but you can't take that emotion onto the pitch and do the job that you've been coached to do. You have to separate yourself and that's what De Bruyne is doing. He's separating himself and saying, this is this is my job now. I have to do it this way. But it, I, again, he's, I, I don't feel he's actually saying, I don't care. He, he must clearly understand how fans feel about the club that he plays for. Absolutely he will. But he's not a fan, he's a player.
3: I've mentioned a, a guy I know who supports Blackpool before on the podcast, who seems to have a rivalry with everybody. I could understand where Blackpool played Preston, that was a big deal for him. And I would imagine that the players would, would get a sense of that and that big derby occasion would perhaps bring something different out of them but he seemed to have rival rivalries with everybody you know Swindon because of an offside decision that had happened five years previously Gillingham because of one of their players getting sent off for a professional foul in the dying embers of the game but I would refuse to believe that the Blackpool players mm. at that time would be well, it's Gillingham this afternoon, and and our fans they really don't like Gillingham, so we've got to give a little bit more effort today. They just but even they're when you speak on the job, in when hands. you speak to fans as well, they'll bring up stuff like that, expecting
1: you to be off of the same mind, and you'll be going, "Yeah, great." And you want have and I, any idea? Because again, there's the difference, the distance between.
3: Why would you lie, Chinch? I don't Why lie. You lie to I
1: don't lie. <laughs> I don't lie. I just don't say anything and nod which nodding can't be construed as lying, in, can it?
0: It's interesting that derbies, does that, I, I, I think it's probably true, we're being slightly diplomatic, I think it's probably true to say that most modern players, particularly imports, and especially recent imports, whether that's from different countries or from within Brexit Britain itself,
2: <laughs> I, I don't
0: think they care. Like, I don't think, there's not. there won't be players that like, you're not, you can't tell me Andre Gomez really hates Liverpool. Of course, Andre Gomez doesn't hate Liverpool. He doesn't, he, he, as you say, he's a professional, yeah, he's doing yeah, his job. Yeah. It might
2: that, build up over, if he's there if for he, five or ten he five, years. Five or six years he, and, he has and some get, emotional touch, Yeah, exactly.
0: But, and that's not a criticism of Andre Gomez. You could do it with anybody. But, I but it's interesting that derbies always live up to that kind of. They, it's almost as like a player's sense, I don't know, like that it's allowed to be a bit feistier. Yes. Yeah, that you, you're expected. Yeah. The type of performance has to be slightly different in this game. Does, how
1: how how Andre Gomez feels about a Merseyside derby? You know, I've obviously played in Manchester derbies, and you, you're close enough to Merseyside yeah. that when you play in a, you know, because it's very similar to Manchester. But if you're Andre Gomez and you go into a Merseyside derby, again, you probably do get a bit more out of him because he will understand. And the just it's just different. There is a crackle to those games you, that bring more out of players. Did you so play they, all
0: three derbies in the Great Northern
3: Cities?
1: Of Manchester, <laughs> Manchester Liverpool, yes. and Sheffield. And Sheffield. Play, no, I, I, Sheffield I incredibly had injuries at Sheffield Wednesday, which denied me the opportunity right. of playing yeah, in a Steel that. City derby. Because that's
0: meant to be the most...
1: I've, I've been at those games, yeah, yeah. obviously I've worked on them, but I've actually as a, when I was a player at Wednesday, I attended, and it was... It, Will Hillsborough's a brilliant ground as well for, for atmosphere, yeah. but Sheffield derby's a special... So again, I understand what you're saying, but you in those games, but what, two games a season, maybe a cup game if you're lucky you're going to maybe kind of feed into it or the, you're going to feel more what the, yeah. how much this means to the fans. So you do get more out of every player. But certainly someone who's closer to that geographically, I, I really did feel it when I played in Merseyside Derbies. You really had to, to give it
2: everything. Uh, let's finish where we started with you, Chinch, which uh, is to ask this question. Um, were you ever emotionally affected by a stadium or the atmosphere in which you played? Or alternatively, did you hate mm. somewhere so much that it actually had a negative effect on the way that you played because well, there wasn't, you disliked there wasn't it so much? The, the, the grounds that I played at, there, there, were,
1: there wasn't, apart from maybe playing at Plough Lane, which was, that was, a, that was traumatic because of of the dressing rooms, of the pitch, of who you were playing against and their style of football. That was a very, you wanted that over as quickly as possible and get a decent result out. of But every every ground, if you go back to, you know, I played what in, say, the mid-90s, when I was most successful, and strangely, Everton were as well. All the grounds, like Goodison and Anfield and Old Trafford and, and Highbury, they were all just... The county they were great. grounds. The, the county, I, I never, no, I, I, I tended to, and also when I went to take corners and stuff, if you're doing yeah, it down you, the away end, the grief you would, the have grief you would it get. It but I, I yeah. thought it was fantastic, as long as they weren't throwing or spitting. I didn't mind, because looking the way that I do, you're going to take a certain amount of stick. And when you're knocking in pinpoint crosses <laughs> for people to score, strangely, opposition fans, they don't like that. They don't no. like you doing that to your team. So I took that as a, you know, a smile and a, and a little wave. It drives the fa- So you used to actually, away from home, when the fans were cheering the home side on, I found that re- it kind of, I don't know, and then dampening that down was brilliant. The feeling of a home crowd going quiet was was as good as the, the reactions from a, 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 your, your fans when you score it's that's when you know you're really doing your job and that's when you're, you're trying to put a professional job in to, to quieten down. But the grounds I played at uh, were, were, were brilliant. And actually, you should have probably noticed them more, the old Highbury compared to the Emirates. If I, I, I don't know whether you, you... You presumably think the Emirates is better, but looking, being at both grounds and having played at Highbury and attended the Emirates, I still think Highbury... But again, is it the history of what happened there and the players that they had? That maybe that you get because you played against the great Arsenal team. So maybe that tends to kind of change your, your view of the ground as well. But they, apart from the Dell, which was a little bit... The, the, I didn't like the netting at the Dell. There was no there was no very, net. It was very like a shallow little, netting. Yeah, very shallow. I, I, it like I, Sunday, Sunday lead drive. Balls drops. went in and came out very quickly. So, I, probably the Dell is the one that I'd say I didn't, because it was very. And as you took a throw in, the fans could take the ball out of your hands. That's how <laughs> close you were. Seriously, it was ridiculous. But the fact that when you. If you I never scored the Dell, surprisingly. But if you did, it was like a trampoline in the. ball. Bo- a ball has to nestle in the net it does, for me. It I'm not a fan of a trampoline net. Well, the but great,
0: they didn't
2: have any space to have it any bigger. Well,
0: the greatest nets of all time, I think we'll all agree, USA 94. When oh, they're they, fantastic! When, when they
3: went back about, 16, maybe that's a podcast. 16, the 15. greatest nets <laughs> of particularly all,
2: particularly the one that Diana Ross missed, yes. and it collapsed in front of her.
3: That great—I've got a theory about that great Gerard De La Feo goal scored scored for Watford against Wolves to get them back into the FA Cup semi-final at, at Wembley. Is that I think because the nets are so deep at Wembley, it makes you look like a bigger target. So you try something like that. Ah, if you yeah. had he, been playing at the Dell, There would not wouldn't have been so much to him at. So, about, so you have, have to have it.
1: depth perception yep. to be a good finisher. Uh-huh. What about the what about is it the '78 World Cup where they had is it where they had rings black rings around the posts was that the '78 World Cup? 78.
2: Do you it remember? Do you what been, I mean? Yeah. there was, there was yeah.
1: like a, for some reason they had like a was that just I don't know why they did that but I remember that as a kid growing up the rings yeah. around the post you don't weird, see that these weird, days weird post and net porn going can on can we here? have
2: sponsored Goal posts How uh, about that? Before we go, it's time for Never Mind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story! This is what Andy tells tell from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel worthy details removed. It's a poignant story about my retirement.
1: You can, you can go, ah,
2: oh, oh, now sorry. if you want One, to. Two, oh. So
1: having played a, a pivotal 17 minutes against Crew Alexandra to come off with an injury, um, had surgery. This was in 2002, January 2002. Had surgery. They told me the damage that had been done. And everyone talks about, you know, players saying the moment you realise that it's going to stop, either you get too old or too fat or you get an injury. I had both. That, you have to, that you're told, basically. And that, when the, the, you don't know what you've done, the surgeon opens you up. Tells you after he comes in after the surgery and says, "This is what we've done. You've got a problem with your femur. A big piece of bones come off. We can do microfracturing." No, there's no joking that you can't. There's not an autograph. Um, And they get gas out of the ground. No, that's fracking. Right. I don't think I was suitable for (laughs) fracking, but anyway,
2: i was certainly big enough. (laughs) Could have fracked. I don't know. Yeah, he's from the northwest, and you're you're quite rocky.
1: Yeah. So this is they they tended to there's stuff they can do when you're younger. They tend to do this, which hopefully gives you a chance to. But I was 32. And it's kind of that realization that it's that's it. And I had, I think, a year or so left in my car. So basically, it was a question of me getting back on my feet so I could retire. But then, so it's being in that room once the surgeons come in and said, this is what it is, Mike, we can do this. And I'm kind of thinking, okay, okay. And he basically is telling you, if you carry on, you're going to need knee replacement. So you know that's it. And when you're left on your own, it is, it is, it's, I'm not going to cry because I'm not a crier, but it was upsetting. But then the way, because I had to go back to, Sheffield Wednesday and kind of wean myself off playing, get myself fit again, but kind of a day day-by-day distance yourself from football and the rest of the play, because you have to do, because mentally, you're not going to get back in this. People say, oh, you know, it'd be great to have you back in a year's so time. You know it's not going to happen, and you're actually mentally and physically distancing yourself from people that you've known really well, a lot of the young players that you've spent a lot of time with and hopefully helped along the way, and it's it's really... It's really diff- it is really difficult because normally maybe if you finish have an injury, your contract ends. That's it. You're in one day, you're out the next. But I had a period of time where you kind of you kind of at the club, but you're not really. You know, you're not going to contribute. And it's just a question of just getting yourself. And you have to be selfish and say, right, I need to get myself fixed. I need to be able to live my life. But knowing that you're never gonna put a shirt on again or stick your boots on again, and I always I always thought when I was playing that when that day came, it it wouldn't bother me. But actually it It's easy to think, well, this is how I'm going to feel when this happens, but it's not it's not that straightforward, but it was that length of time that year where I had to kind of slowly separate myself from from people that you knew really well was was difficult so it wasn't actually leaving the club the day you don't go into a football mm. club after sixteen seventeen years it wasn't the hardest thing it was being there and actually slowly just working your way out, which was I don't know whether it happens to a lot of players when they retire. I don't think it maybe works that way. So it was, it was, it was, it was difficult. And I felt, again, you're letting people down, but you've got to go through this because you, you, for yourself, you, you've got to get yourself right. And they owe you because you're injured playing for the club. They want to get you back on your feet. The physios are doing their job. But you know you know, it's only going to end in one way. And I don't know, it's just really sad. So for me, it was really sad. And maybe it, it struck me harder than I ever thought it would do when I first started playing. I thought, it's a job. When it ends, it's like anything, that's it. But it, it wasn't quite
3: like that. Uh,
0: so that would have been a brilliant podcast that he's just wasted, isn't it?
3: Chinch, do you not know that how this works? <laughs> Sorry, you, what? you tell a soccer story, yeah. and then we take the mick out of you. If you do it, it's not something jerker, you want to...
1: It's not, no, but it's, this is, I, this is what I bring. The, that was the soccer story equivalent of
0: beaches with better This Bat is Midland. what I bring.
1: <laughs> Listen, it's light and shade. I'm not going to do the Howard Kendall stories all the time. I can't do that. I've got to give you bring back boozy. stories from, from the
3: heart. Chinch, less your last game because of some horrific mm, injury yeah. more lobsters being thrown into the bar so
1: that was a bad soccer story was it well, it that was
3: a great it
0: was, a, it was, it was a, gra- a great, was a great bit story. of content yeah but we should have got at least an hour out of it just waste. Really? Yeah. why
3: how just by letting you talk for longer, we're oh. not after like we don't want soccer story Oscars. We want the big blockbusters. Yeah,
1: but you said you like that we little bombs the insight. On and you needed to
3: pull the curtain back, and you and did pull the curtain back. I did, didn't I? And it was harrowing. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Were
1: you? Were you getting a bit? I was harrowed. You, you, were you harrowed? Yeah, like a field. Did they that's, get harrowed? No, just don't get harrowed before the seeds go in? Anyway, I think we're getting off the topic. But it was it. I Furrowed. Thought, that's furrowed. Isn't, isn't it? I think you can have. A harrow is a thing that a tractor drags. You do do the bit. Anyway, anyway. But <laughs> I <you> personally <laughs> how many pods have we done? This is 125. Right. To me, that was showing more of myself in a good way <laughs> yeah. than maybe not in the way that you get arrested. Not in the way for. that you normally do. Good, I think that's a good thing. Is it a, was that no, a bad no, one? No, no, it was a
0: good it was a oh, brilliant no, bit of insight into done? you. Excellent. It was just quite it's quite a sad way to start the
3: week. <laughs> oh, it, I've not really I'm thought ne- about I'm the whole picture, the bigger I'm, picture here. I'm now quite right?
2: sad. How bad do we all look if we rinse you off the back of that sort yeah, exactly. of story for yeah. crying out Which, like of that. course, hasn't happened and won't happen. Uh, if you'd like to hear more of that tear jerking content <laughs> from Chinch, gonna- episode number 111 is all about if I, retirement. If, I, if, I, if I'm going to do a story like
1: that, you want kind of... Is it the Simon Bates music? <laughs> do you want some of that music? If it's going to be a poignant... Slow bit... If we do that, I need to let you know, because I've caught you out there. You probably thought it was going to be a hilarious... Banter. But banter I thought thought it's going to be at least four naked But that's but that's what makes this podcast so special. It is, and Cinch, it was moving. You, you told don't get it that from John
0: Hartson. You really don't get that from John Hartson. Mm. Next week, I look forward to a story about Chinch's parents' death. <laughs>
2: <laughs> before we go, it's um, uh, an opportunity to uh, get in touch with your stories about sad things at setpiecemenu menu or setpiece menu at gmail.com facebook.com forward slash setpiece please subscribe share rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule thank you to <laughs> Rory to Stephen and To Andy, who's only laughing to wipe away the tears, and thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I'm gonna to have to stop stopping at the services near crew because that
3: is that why we is that why we have to go via keel services <laughs> so that you could just slow down and take stock after seeing the signs for crew on the M6? It's uh, maybe it is, Steve. Maybe subliminally, that is what's going on with me. Is that right? We have to get a coffee and, and, a, and a muffin just to cheer chinchar. I have got quite
1: a lot lives. of these kind of quite touching okay we sprinkle them then so so I do one every <laughs>
3: no ten? let's
1: let's just do an episode where chinch gets it all out oh
0: yes Why? Okay. Like a
3: cathartic episode yeah. for chinch or maybe can we save them for i don't know you know do, do them all on a good what's friday the, or something what's the most advent
0: good? well you know how the, the on tv they always put like sunny shows on in january just mm. people want a bit yes, of sunshine in why Kate and mood. I love Death in Paradise. The, <laughs> the, we do, don't laugh. The, what's, the, what's the happiest time of year? When people need bringing down a touch.
2: Well, summer, summertime. Summer. When, when in August, let's happy. do four
0: weeks of solid depression with chinch.
2: <laughs> why do people need bringing down?
0: Because they get too ch- too chirpy. I can't stand the but chirpy. But that wasn't yeah, why, why I did it. To, bit to drag
1: everybody down and make you feel, you feel bad. I'm I'm just, to I'm give
0: just, you an insight into the mind. Just so we can harness the inherent tragedy of your life to to kind of... Balance people out a
2: little bit. There, there is a oh, lot okay. of sadness within you, so maybe maybe yeah. a four-part summer special about chinchi's sadness with Sam's <laughs> with Sam's heart condition when we found out and they looked oh, yeah, at the that, incubator. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, you yeah. want me to do that great. story yeah, one day? As yeah, well. no, yeah you that you was really yeah, belting,
1: yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.